the high print on Barnes' work before that was $550,000. I know that because I said it. <laughs> I bought the piece. <laughs> and so I was like, okay, you know, I'll be able to buy this piece somewhere under that. And, and I can scoop both, right? And, and I knew after that night, I was like, I'm not even, I'm just, I'm just not even going to show up. <laughs> you know, I'm not going to show up. I, my, my, my wallet's getting very, very thin real quick. And, you know, I know, I know people like the secret is completely out, right? Mm. Welcome to the Artelligence Podcast, live arts look behind the scenes at how the global art market really works. I'm your host, Marion Maneker. This podcast is brought to you by Live Art, the global art marketplace that puts you in control. Download the Live Art app to get all of the most relevant art market information, as well as access to exclusive private sales. Or visit us at liveart.io. Christie's May week of sales began with Andy Warhol's $195 million Marilyn. Everybody expected that to be the most talked about lot of the week. But on the third night, something extraordinary and authentic happened. A work by former professional football player and artist, Ernie Barnes, was included in the evening sale of 20th century art. Positioned at the auction house in a highly trafficked place, it had begun to stir interest. When the bidding began, that interest erupted into a prolonged war between an art advisor in the audience bidding for a client and Houston trader Bill Perkin. In the end, Perkins paid more than $15 million for the work, far more than he had intended to pay before the auction, but much less than he was determined to pay to win the lot. Bill Perkins joins us to talk about his experience. Bill Perkins, welcome to the podcast. Thanks. Thanks for having me. So you had a very big week last week. Um, most people were focused on other things in the auctions, and you put on what may be in the... I don't know, 20 years I've been doing this, best uh, bidding uh, I've ever seen. And so uh, before we get to the bidding and that story, I'd like to talk to you a little bit about Ernie Barnes, uh, the artist, and your interest in his art. Uh, I know you collect uh, some other artists. You've described yourself as sort of new to this, but it sounds like you're not that new. You've been buying art for a little bit. Yeah, um, I, I got exposed to Barnes through friends that were kind of educating me on African African American artists um, and sort of just kind of figure out who was culturally significant, what did he do, what were their style. Like I'm I'm a complete noob. I'm not some sort of art scholar, right? And and what I liked, and I knew I always wondered like, well, who who did this painting, right? That that I've seen on album covers and 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 the show by Norman Lear or produced by Norman Lear. Uh, Good, Good times, times. and. Um, it was Ernie Barnes and, you know, his story of being a football player, but really kind of like an artist in an athlete's body. Right. And so, you know, learning that he'd be painting on the side and on the sidelines, right. When he's not playing. And so, um, you know, it was always in the back of my head, like, okay, I can't, I can't buy this piece, but I can appreciate other works of art that he had. And I, I picked up a couple pieces uh, fairly recently in the past year uh, at auction of, of his work, you know, and I was looking at, you know, his style, the way the, the figures are sinewy and exaggerated features and, and kind of dancing. Um, and someone just described to me, I think it was Andrew Burr, much away, says, you know, if you read the poetry 
uh, Greek poetry, a way they describe the figures, you know, Barnes has that in him, the way he's drawing. And I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. You know, I was just kind of blown away at the things I'm learning uh, about the paintings by Barnes. And so I have a couple pieces. I just buy what I like. And obviously, um, the secret's out. I'm in love with uh, Sugar Shack <laughs> um, for, for, for more than just one reason. Um, it's a cultural treasure. Uh, and I felt it was a cultural treasure. But after I bought the piece, the number of people that have reached out to me have kind of DM'd me, um, black, white, the number of Americans that have been like, I love that painting. It reminds me of this. I love this painting. I've always seen that painting, um, you know, really solidified in my mind that it's a cultural I, treasure. I, I think the Norman Lear show, The Good Times, uh, had an enormous impact in ways that people don't fully understand. I, I was kind of struck, you know, Christie's had the work in a deceptively prominent place during the yes. previews. You know, I was, I was slightly like, upset by that. <laughs> <laughs> There's a, a, a very prominent um, dealer uh, walked by it with her husband, who's a prominent collector, and she sort of waved her finger at it and said over her shoulder to him, you know, there's a really interesting story about this painting. So I, it is one of those things where I think lots of people knew the painting, especially if you're, you know, a, of a certain age, and I don't think everyone realized that they all had had the same reaction to uh, to the painting. And and part of what came out, I think, in this is not just your interest in it, that there were others deeply. What were there, 22 uh, telephones uh, ready to bid? Yeah, 22 bidders. Uh, you know, I, I was I was like, oh, wow. I, you know, I, I've been picking these works up by Barnes and I was just like, I, I just feel like I was stealing. Like I've been plundering the art world, uh, picking up significant pieces of American art at, at what I consider a relative discount. Like I'm not a, I'm by no means an art scholar or, or you know, just call me an art idiot if you want. Um, but I do know market distortions and I know markets well and biases, human bias and markets create distortion, right? If you're super biased about growth stocks, et cetera, you'll overpay. If you're biased against value stocks, you, they'll be cheap, right? And, you know, Warren Buffett famously tweets about this. And so, Art world is biased against American art, and it's the world is completely biased against African American arts, African American uh, narratives, which yep. are a quintessential American story. And so, I've been able to benefit from that because I'm able to acquire works basically free on a relative basis uh, versus their historical, cultural significance. And so, that's been great. And this was one of those works where. It's such a cultural treasure, so, so recognized um, that, you know, even though the art world's like, who the hell's Ernie, Ernie Barnes, right? A lot of people are like, what, what's an Ernie Barnes? But the, 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 the number of people out there that this painting touched kind of just blew the secret out. So, you know, there's, there's a fascinating thing going on um, where uh, the uh, Chinese collectors have become very interested in Barnes's work and the auction houses have begun to... Um, choose works by Barnes to sell in Hong Kong or Shanghai, at, which is it, it, fascinating. I think part of it is an outgrowth of we've had a wave of uh, African diaspora and African-American uh, figurative painters for the last three or four years who've been very prominent. And, you know, that causes people to look for more and different th things. And this sort of uh, has gone into, and for the most part, the historical stuff has stayed in a kind of different 
yeah. grouping, you know, as opposed to the artists who are uh, uh, working today. Um, but it, but it's like that expansion. It's almost like you know the uh, uh, blues music having to go through the translation into uh, British culture to come back uh, right. to to America. There there seems to be a little bit of that going on at the same time. Right. I, I don't know the timing of it. Like when, when you have any kind of market that's distorted because of biases, they don't last forever. Right. I don't know if it's 10 years, 20 years, 50 years, 100 years, but they don't last. And then markets correct. Um, when you're talking about Chinese buyers, I'm, I, part of me is like, oh, that's great. But another part of me is like, holy crap, I'm worried now because I'm relatively new to this and I still have works that I have my eyes on. And I'm like, I cannot compete with, you know, China, Russia, Taiwan uh, bidders. Right. Uh, and so. It's a little scary for me. I'm like, oh, well, you, up, you know, <laughs> you, you you set something off because the next day, another work by Barnes in the day sale sold for two point three uh, million dollars. Yeah, I'll tell so, you a little. I, I'll tell you a little story about that. I wanted that piece. I really, really liked that piece, and I was a little sad. Not a little sad. I was actually sad that it was the the day after and not the day before. Because if it was the day before, I would have been able to pick it up. A lot cheaper. If you, if you realize, like the high print on Barnes' work before that was five hundred fifty thousand dollars. I know that because I said it. <laughs> I bought the piece, <laughs> and so I was like, okay, you know, I'll be able to buy this piece somewhere under that, and and I can scoop both, right? And and I knew after that night, I was like, I'm not even. I'm just. I'm just not even going to show up. <laughs> you know, I'm not even going to show up. I, my 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 wallet's getting very very thin real quick, and you know, I know I know people like the secret is completely out right and so well tell tell me a little bit about that i mean one i assume after you um uh bought the work that you got approached by other people with works to sell that's the way the art market usually uh functions yeah yeah and and you know i i think normally that would be a great thing i'm just you know i'm just kind of like bill perkins amateur art collector buying what he likes you know i'm not like this super astute very knowledgeable art person that's out there laser picking out pieces but i am picking up pieces that i like um that i'm learning about um, and that I feel that, you know, I'm going to get joy from them, but also like they're free. Like, I think you don't have to be an art, like if you don't know anything about jets, right? Very complex instruments, but you don't have to be, know anything about jets to know that a two engine prop plane is worth less than a G650 jet, right? You don't have to know anything about cars to know that a Rolls Royce Phantom, right? is just worth more than a Kia Sonata. Right. And even something close like a Corvette versus a Ferrari, the completely ignorant. Well, no, the Ferrari is worth more. Right. And so I call that using a sledgehammer than using tweezers. Right. I didn't really need to know that much to know that, hey, there's this whole class of artists of significance that when I look at this American artist and this painting versus this one, that this is this is trading at a discount, but it's actually worth a lot more. And now maybe I won't see the market equilibrate in my time, right? Like it won't necessarily correct itself in my time, but I get to own this piece and enjoy this piece at a at what I call virtually free. Yeah, you know. And but you know that's that's I mean, the the art world generally functions because individual collectors who are either have a uh, an eye or have some. Uh, you know, smart people advising them, but usually from their own sense of value, go and pick these works out 
show them in their homes, lend right. them out, make them. I mean, it's the, you know, everyone thinks that, oh, museums can do this. Museums are corporate functions. They, it's very hard for them to do it. Individual collectors right. put together these great collections and then often give them to museums as a way of saying, see, I told you so. I yeah. mean, we, we have to, uh, Monday night, the, the Maclow collection, uh, uh, the second part of it selling and, and very much it's the, the, the money isn't the most important thing. I mean, there's a lot of money, so it's obviously important, but it's the, the validation. See these right. things I bought when no one else wanted them like you, everyone wants them now because they now recognize what I saw that. Right. That's, it's kind of along the lines of what Rick Lowe told me, you know, it says the role of the collector is to signal to the art market and the world. What is, what is valuable? What is, what of our culture do we preserve and transmit to future generations? And so I take that seriously and you know, that's my role. So I'm out there as, as with my means and resources that I have that I can dedicate to the art market picking up things that should be transmitted to future generations. And a lot of the pieces that, you know, uh, I buy, I loan them out to museums to so other people can see what I see, right? Get a taste of what I see instead of just being on my walls all the time. Obviously, I want them on my walls to, to appreciate them, right? There's a lot of hedonic value to living in beauty and having those things around you. Well, and the experience of art isn't isolated to the moment that you happen to be in a museum. For right. most people, that's the time you get to see things. But one of the uh, rare advantages to being a collector is you can have that extraordinary moment with a work of art in some you know happenstance way yeah. because it's there with you. You're living with it. Yeah, yeah. On a daily basis, it, it's great. It's great. So um, let's go to to the bidding for a minute. Did you? You? you I, I know you. Um, you. I think you said in one of uh, the commentaries that you know you came prepared to uh, spend some money, but I presume you didn't yeah. <laughs> intend to. I, I'll, I'll be honest with you. I sat behind you during the uh, bidding. And when it got to, I don't know, three, four five million dollars, I thought, thought to myself, I hope this guy has the money for this. This is yeah. getting serious. Yeah, that, that makes two of us. <laughs> no, <laughs> I mean, all plans kind of went out the window. And we kind of knew that when, when we, we our, I and my fiance, my fiance and I, we were the last person's kind of to come in, right? And we walked by the barns, which was conspicuously displayed, right? And then there's a film crew filming the painting. When we looked up, then they're like, do you know that work? And I go, of course I know this work. Like, and I gave the spiel and they're like, oh, we're doing the documentary. And I'm just like, oh boy. You know, we prepared for like, have your poker face on, don't act like you want it too much, et cetera. And I was just like, this, this is not going to be the way I think it's going to go. And then as we sat and there's guy announced 22 bidders and everybody kind of shifts in their seats. I'm like, oh dear. <laughs> you know, like that, that's the thing that went, went through my head and it just the, the shouting and people bidding. And I was just like, oh, all plans are out of the window. Like all, all bets are off. And I, I just kind of was like asking myself, how would I feel if I were the underbidder? Right. That, that was like each time I paused and had a breath and I tried to ask my fiance for advice when we were at <laughs> Eight, 8 million or 9 million. And I'm just kind of like, Dave, what do you think? She was like, this is something you have to decide for yourself. She would, she wisely said nothing, you know? She, and I was just like, okay, um, this is odd. I looked around the room. Everybody's kind of staring at me and then just kept bidding. And I was just like, I, I am going to do my best to acquire this. I, I felt like, um, I had a strong emotional attachment to it. I had a strong feeling that this was a national treasure. Uh, I had a strong 
opinion about its value, uh, not only to me, to, to the art world, to future generations. And so I was willing to get bloodied to get the piece. Uh, and then if I didn't get the piece, I was going to make sure whoever got the piece paid uh, something close to its value or whatever my resources uh, could force them to pay. And you, you said that at one point, yes. uh, uh, there was a little bit of gamesmanship going on between you and um, uh, the art advisor. I think he turned to you and said something uh, to, you know, uh, to the effect that he wasn't going to stop. And you, uh, I, I didn't hear that part, but I did hear you say that I'm going to make you pay. Yeah, correct. Uh, I was, you know, I was like, he was kind of giving me like, go away, you're not going to get it. And I'm like, oh, no, 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 no. That's that's not gonna, that's not and, how it's going to go. And there was a fair amount of money to still to go in the bidding when that happened. I mean, yeah. that, that was not uh, towards the end. That was sort of in the middle. That was around five, six million. Not yeah, correct. Correct. And so, you know, he, 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 I think we were testing each other's resolve. Um, and I think at the end of the day, I, I, I wanted it more. Um, and, and, and that's fine. And that's fine. Do you know who he was bidding for? No, no. And I'm actually, I'm actually glad I didn't know, because if I knew, let's say it was somebody that I, I, um, I liked or, or I was like, oh, you know what? They deserve <laughs> it. You know, they'll, they'll do a good job with it. Right. And then the, I would have just backed out and be like, you know, it's in good hands, you know, that type of thing. Um, and so the fact that it was a nameless uh, entity, uh, I was able to just be ruthless in my pursuits. Yeah. Well, my, my understanding is the other bidder, it would have been in good hands uh, and is closely connected to a major museum in uh, uh, Los Angeles. But that that shouldn't matter. I mean, the po point of this is, that, as you pointed out, the, the value is determined by the fact that the two of you both agreed that there was more than enough value to keep going to where you went. Yeah, I, I mean, I walked out, um, you know, there's the part of what are my resources? This thing hurts, right? But at the same time, I was like, I'm stealing this. This is this is a a plunder of plunders, right? Uh, despite the high price tag, um, you know. Imagine bidding on the Mona Lisa. <laughs> you know, it's like it's an, an, an you're an Italian, right? And you're like, this is this is a treasure, right? Like this is a a national treasure, and I'm like, this is a national American treasure, and this is how I feel, and I think that's validated by the tons of people. Oh, black, white, all across America reaching out, telling me stories about how they were exposed to that painting, how much they love that painting, et cetera. And I'm just like, it is, it's a national trust. No, I, look, this is one of the interesting ways the art market functions is sometimes the sale is the marketing for the work itself, right? The, right. the a, a high price validates things and brings out this recognition that other people felt but didn't necessarily see or, or understand that other people um, uh, would and there's no there's no greater measure of that than someone's willingness to trade money for something they consider more important uh, a, a work of art in this kind of context. Yeah, yeah. I collected uh, um, earlier American coins, uh, and because there's so many coins, right? I focused on one period, 1793. I mean, 17, uh, yeah, 1793 to, to 1800, right? And I said I want to learn the history of each coin. What was going on in the mint? Who was who was who was in charge of the mint? What was happening in American history? What, what was going on with slavery at that time, etc. And and that's part of the fun and of this piece. Like now, you know, collecting barns. I'm learning about him, who was contemporaries, what happened, etc. And like it's so rich, 
right? What was the story he's telling? What is the narrative? Why did he choose this this shape, etc.? Uh, uh, and and you know what what is the what what was his experiences and experiences of the time? And so I I just I go into that whole world and that painting. I love it the same way when I was collecting early coins. I learned a lot about history, and so I, I'm happy that. Um, it is bringing some some noise and some marketing uh, to to Barnes and his work and 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 what I consider the old masters. Uh, they're not that old, right? But the old masters of, of American art. Well, uh, and there are there others. I mean, Barclay Hendricks just had the. They uh, I should rephrase that. They just had a great show of Barclay Hendricks's basketball paintings, which I think were also a revelation to to, to people. He's a very different artist. It's a very right. different take on uh, on basketball, and, uh, but it it was still a, a striking um, moment, and I think most people walked away from that show. Uh, deeply impressed. Uh, I'm just sort of curious what which other artists you're sort of maybe maybe you don't want to. Uh, uh, yeah, uh, I'm, I'm like because <laughs> there's a part of me that's kind of like I don't want to say anything because there's so, there's so many. I you know I didn't expect I expected uh, you know when the price went I expected there'd be a little bit of like oh let's talk about this but there's been like an eruption of attention on me uh, and I, I think some of it's like hey I'm not the art guru right like so don't don't. Don't but listen anyone to me, but- can be, Bill. Bill, anyone can be. That's what's so great about it. I mean, the the guy, uh, uh, Doctor Barnes, was kind of a, a a crazy guy who had his own weird ideas about uh, art, and he bought a ton of art that nobody wanted at the time. Literally, yeah. nobody wanted it. Now we consider it the most priceless collection of art yeah. in the world. Well, uh, with that, I mean, uh, there there are some there are some. Uh, older masters, like obviously I, I picked up a Charles White on that trip to uh, just a week prior. Uh, I, I've picked up John Biggers. I've been a collector of his. He, it's, it's because he was in the South and not in New York, his works are a super discount. So there's yep. American art at a discount, Black narratives and Black artists at a discount, and then you're in the South and now you're at a discount, right? Like So it's like this triple bias against you your work is free and you're so important right and then obviously the people he was inspired by and and his contemporaries have elizabeth catlett statutes statues i have um trying to think who else and then there's a couple people a couple works um some 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 newer folks that i have my eyes on but i i don't i don't want to say because i literally i mentioned two people and they were just like uh, they changed my prices and the galleries are calling me and I'm like, oh my God, like, I, you know, I haven't, I haven't even, I'm not going to be able to afford the people I'm trying to collect if I say anything. So, uh, but, but it's good. I mean, I shouldn't, I had, I tell you a story. I bought John Bigger's shotgun, uh, houses, like his like iconic piece, um, at an auction in 2008. And I told Rick Lowe, I was like, Hey, I, I got shotgun houses. And I told him the price and he was upset. He goes, you should not have been able to buy that piece at that price. And, you know, this is when I learned about the role of the collector. And I, I was like, he's right. I, sh- I, 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 <laughs> I should be in jail. <laughs> I committed open robbery <laughs> of, of the art market. And so um, 
I shouldn't be able to buy some of these pieces at these prices on a relative basis, right? Like if yeah. if you if, if we're putting up Warhol prints at two hundred million dollars, uh, and I'm able to pick up a Burns for fifteen million, I'm like, hey, this is where the analogy of the single engine Cessna versus the G six fifty comes into play in my mind. Well, you you made some comment about feeling sort of poor in that uh, uh, room during a lot of the other bi- bidding, yep. but. But but I I suspect you know everything's relative. The guy Correct. who's spending you know seventy million dollars on a Monet, he may he may have more than enough money. He might, it might also hurt him to 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 buy it. I mean, yeah, I mean it's just relative deprivation, right? There's always a bigger fish. There's always in there, and this is the these works were uh, uh, valued by society, culture, the art market at very high prices. Um, um, not high prices, let's say uh, large dollar amounts, <laughs> right? Above and beyond, above and beyond my budget uh, to, to acquire for art. And I was like, wow, we're in the evening. I'm sitting there, I'm just waiting, you know, and enjoying it. Like some of those works, I was like, that is beautiful. Like I almost bid on the Cezanne prior. And I was like, no, no, save your money. Things could get crazy. <laughs> you know, I was, and, and literally that was part of it. I was like, I, I, I turned while the auction was going on, I turned, I was like, I'm literally scared. I'm going to bid on something else and then not have enough money for the barns. Right. Uh, and, and, and so, I mean, we were extremely, extremely nervous going into this auction because it was the sole reason I came there. And I came there out of fear of like phone lines going down and computers going down. I was like, I have to be in the room where it happens. And and I didn't want anything to go wrong. And so... Did, did uh, Christie's give you any indication? I mean, who uh, was the specialist who brought the work in? I mean, I I, I haven't heard anything to the, the, the effect of it, but... I mean, it, it, this is not an isolated incident. I mean, they, they they chose the right work in the right setting. They put it in a sale that it no, wouldn't normally be in an evening sale, and you know, in a big week. So they they were they were aiming towards this. I don't. I think they they over knew what they were doing. How about this? Yeah. They they knew what they're doing. They're good at what they do, right? Yeah. And so they were like. Oh, you know, you know, they 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 got a uh, they created an environment and curated an environment where people who understood the value of this work would be fighting over it. And they they got uh, I showed up and whoever showed up on the phone like we were we were duking it out. And I think we were kind of, you know, the people who were at the right place at that time that were like, OK, this is very valuable, you know, um, and we're going to get there. And, you know, had I, I'm pretty sure uh, I can't I can't say it's a fact but now that the news is out and people thought about this and this is spread across america i'm pretty sure there's people out there like oh i would have paid more had i known had i been at christie's right that had the means to do it i'm 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 very sure of that oh uh the the on the you mentioned marilyn uh, several people whom I trust aren't just sort of saying it, you know, to because it's safe afterwards, had said that, you know, if they'd known it would go in that range, they had a bidder, you know, they had a client who would have, you know, liked to have been in it at the $170 million range, as opposed to, you know, they were scared off because they thought it was a $300 million uh, right. painting. And, you know, one of the classic things of the auction business is you need to get people in Early, you know, at a low level, it's the consigner who doesn't want to take the risk on that. You know, if if every lot was offered with no reserve, most auction houses believe they get more people invested in and starting bidding. And as and, and as many do, once they start bidding, they they have a lot of time uh, trouble pulling themselves out of it uh, uh, and go to a bigger number than they had intended. And and I suspect, you know, you've been buying uh, from Christie's uh, uh, works 
works by this ar artist. I'm sure they called you and called anyone else who had expressed interest in Barnes's work. I, uh, actually, they, actually, they didn't call me. Um, my friend John Arnold, uh, who was also telling me, like, I was like, oh, I'm going to buy a Basquiat. And he's like, why don't you look at these artists, like these other artists, like, and support these other living artists, right? Yeah. And so I'm not going to say the names. <laughs> and so, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, we, we, he, he says, Hey, cause I had called, I had, um, reached out to Eddie Murphy's assistant and offered money for his version of Sugar Shack. And I got crickets, right? Sent tax a couple of times. Like who, how'd you get my number was the first thing. And then I got resources. I'll, I'll get anybody's number. And then like, <laughs> then it was like, okay, we'll get back to you. And it was just like zero, like F you buddy. You don't get to buy this kind of, kind of, we're not calling you back type of thing. So I was like, all right, maybe one day he'll want to sell and I'll, I'll get it, you know? And, and he, my friend John goes, Hey, weren't you interested in Sugar Shack? It's coming up for auction at Christie's. And I, I was like, I had to stop myself from, from crying. My tears were welling up in my eyes. I was like, I can't, I can't believe this. Like I have the WhatsApp message. I WhatsApp him back and I'm like, so I'm I, the first in line. I, 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 was like, I was like, you're kidding me. So then I tell my sister, I cannot miss this. I can't, you know, like, do not make me, I have to be here. I'm X, Y, Z. And then, you know, I'm like, okay, I'm going to register. But I'm like, no, 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 we got to go to New York. Schedule me to be in New York, get everything. I must be there, you know, that type of thing. And so uh, John is the one who signaled me that was going to be there. And, and speaking about like markets in general, like you, you get the best price discovery when you have the most participants, right? And that's the auctions house job. But they can only get, you know, they're only going to be so effective, right? But when after the fact, when, you know, the New York Times, I mean, I don't know, New York Times, Artnet, I mean, black culture magazines, art, all kinds of art aficionados, when they all say it, then everybody's like, wait, whoa, that happened, you know? I missed it, you know, that type of thing. So, uh, and I, I haven't had, a, you know, the internet is pretty uh, cruel. I haven't had anybody go, oh, you paid too much or whatever. Not a single person was like, you, you congratulations, you, you stole that. You know, you that's, know? I mean, that's another fascinating thing. Um, you know, Christie sold that Salvador Mundi painting by Leonardo several years ago for $450 million. And in a weird way, it almost became a curse because it set off, you know, People doubted its authenticity, even though they had shown the X-rays and the you know every right. element of of the uh, thing. They never claimed it was more than what they they, they claimed. The the issues with who bought it became a, a stone around their neck. I mean, everything kind of. I mean, I don't. I think they do it again, but they, right. still, it had as many negative things as it did po positive th things. And <clears throat> there was a bit of a danger of that happening with the Maryland as well, just given the context that we're in. You know, there's there's terrible war going on. There's right. a lot of uncertainty in markets uh, uh, economically. There's still the lingering. The pandemic continues in many pl uh, places. You know, and and one reading is that there were just people who could have bought that or just didn't want to be seen by buying that. But I think you're you're very right. In this case, it's there's none of the, you know, that money should go to build hospitals or you know, how, a billionaire shouldn't exist kind of stuff, which often happens when paintings sell for a lot, lot of money. It's been almost universal, near as I've seen. I haven't seen a negative word either. Just excitement that this thing happened. Yeah, they're they're very excited, and and I I think. Um... Particularly from people, uh, you know, 
I've been able to be a beneficiary of the bias, but a lot of people like finally recognizing the value of these works and their significance as American artists and, and, and black narratives and black American artists, particularly, uh, they, they celebrated it and they were just like, yeah, you stole good for you, yeah. you know, <laughs> you yeah. know, that type of thing. And so I'm happy. I'm happy. Uh, and, and to the people would say, oh yeah, you, that money could have been spent on X, Y, and Z. I'm like, well, the money didn't disappear. It's in somebody else's hands. They can go spend it right now. I got the painting. They got the money. So they can still ship the money to whatever cause, right? No, no. This is, this is one of the great misconceptions about, uh, about all of the, this is it's some, someone had a painting, they now have money. Someone had money, they now have a pa- painting. Yeah. Every, everything else about the po- politics and everything uh, mm-hmm. around it remains the same. It's just an exchange. And it's this exchange value that's important because it shows us what people consider culturally significant. And and that's Quicksilver, right? It's so hard to predict what anyone's going to believe is the most important thing to own um, and have that sense of connection to history uh, at any given time. Yeah, I hope I'm like one of the, the, this moment is a signal for generations 100 years from now, 150 years from now, like this is what you preserve. When I'm long dead, this is what gets trend. This is what goes on the museums of the future. This is what forces people to not only look at the art and the brushstrokes and, and what's going on, but the narrative, the story, and the history, and everything that was going on at the time that that created that art. That, like, what experiences did the artists have to to, to put this on canvas? So that, look, that that's the best part of the money. Is the money is a signal to people to take care of these things, to search them out. I I am sure there are dozens, if not hundreds, of people looking for his, Barnes's works uh, in yeah. in collections all over. The the place yeah. and saying, gee, you know, we should better clean that up and uh, make sure we take care of it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I hope so. As, as well as the other artists. Right. And um, of course, I think I think um, the price point at which I've been able to I say rent because you, you buy them, then you die and then somebody else gets them. You don't really own things like this that last longer than you. So, uh, but I've been able to rent these pieces really cheap. I think the rent is going up. That's a great way of putting it. Bill, I can't thank you enough for doing this. It's been a really, uh, it's been a great education and it's actually been a lot of fun too. Yeah, I appreciate it. Thank you for having me on. Thank you for joining us at the Artelligence Podcast, edited by Colin Ketchin, who also composed the original music. For more episodes, listen on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, or wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to download the LiveArt app or visit us at liveart.io. Please join us for the next episode of the Artelligence Podcast. We're looking forward to it.